welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. I hope you're doing well. In today's podcast, I'm going to be speaking with Marsha Reynolds, who has been a coach for over 25 years, has been really a thought leader in the field, uh, published books such as Coach the Person, Not the Problem, and The Discomfort Zone. I'll say a few more words about Marsha in a moment, but that's what we're going to talk about today. Actually, we're going to talk about how can we coach the person and not the problem. Marsha's going to share some of her teachings and thoughts around how coaches can actually get caught and lost inside the the coach's issue. How can we stop doing that and actually develop a way of, of reflecting back to our clients that creates development, that creates growth inside of them, that helps them expand their sense of identity. We'll talk quite a bit about identity and why it's important to go there in coaching so that they can grow and see and be new things. So Marsha, as I said, is an author and a thought leader in the field. I think she's been coaching since 1995 and since then has coached hundreds of executives and also now teaches coaching to coaches worldwide. She was the fifth global chair of the International Coaching Federation and she serves as the training director of the Pyramid Coaching Institute and teaches coaching schools in China, Russia, the Philippines, India. One of the first 25 people in the world to become an MCC as well. So that all being said, let's dive in. I hope you enjoy this. Of course, if you feel like sharing this podcast, I'd love other coaches to know about it. You can click on the share buttons on our podcast page at coachesrising.com forward slash podcasts. And if you want to leave a review, that would be awesome too. So let's dive in. Here's Marsha Reynolds. Marsha, it's really good to be with you. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for asking me. Mm. We're going to talk about your work and in particularly uh, your, your book, like Coach the Person, Not the Problem, and, and um, unpacking what does that mean. Mm-hmm. Actually, I'd just love to begin by asking you, what do you think the role of coaches is in these times? Like maybe it's the same role coaching's already always played, but you know, we've mm-hmm. just, we're in this pandemic, perhaps we're on the other mm-hmm. side of it, coming out of it. But mm-hmm. I'm just curious if you think that the, the role that a coach played plays in these times has changed. Yeah, uh, not the role of the coach. Um, what's coming forth to be coached on has has slightly changed. Um, but since I view coaches as thinking partners, I'm just helping you think through whatever's fogging your brain and 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 help you to see um, what's going to move you forward that that stays the same. And that's the distinction of coaching. But what people are bringing forth, um, you know, leaders have to be more connected, have more empathy because of what's going on and the anxiety people are going through. Leaders themselves have more intensity of emotion. So coaches have to be really good with just allowing wherever they are and not reacting to to their space um, and their emotions. And there's a lot more look at um, what do I really want for myself in this life? What is my pathway? Uh, You know, am I in the right place um, right now where people before were just kind of busy, you know, and I'll think about that later. But now they're thinking, you know, maybe I really need to to be more in control and 
and master my own path instead of just happening to me. So I think the topics and the intensity of emotions have impacted what people bring to the sessions. Um, mm. So coaches are just, you know, it just requires uh, compassionate presence, <laughs> even more so than before. Yeah, so it sounds like you're, you're definitely encountering that with the people you work with, mm -hmm. those things. Yeah. Both the coaches I, I teach, because that's a lot of what I do is teach for coaching schools around the world, especially, and with my clients. And um, what's interesting is the clients, the, leader, uh, the leaders that I coach, so many of them, um, if the company has the resources for coaching, it means, you know, there's two sides to the pandemic. One, it impacted a company in a negative way. On the other side, there's these companies that have seen a way accelerated change in growth due to the pandemic. You know, like I coach uh, leaders in a syringe company, you know, huge growth. And um, a lot of my leaders um, have been promoted, not just in the U.S., but other countries as well, have been promoted at extra levels. You know, and they're like, now what do I do? How do I influence people at this level? So, you know, the acceleration of change within companies uh, it makes more confusion <laughs> for the client. Who am I now? And how is it I'm supposed to be with others in this new uh, world, really? <laughs> Maybe that's a good segue then into this idea of coaching the person and not the problem and, mm -hmm. um, you know, re reflective inquiry and, and so on. So maybe you could um, just say why, what do you, why that statement, like coach the person, not the yeah. problem, why write the book? Or, yeah. Well, you know, my books tend to be written based on what I see is um, overlooked or not coaches aren't doing. <laughs> and um, so like my book prior to coach the person was the discomfort zone because I found that coaches were uncomfortable with discomfort yet discomfort is a part of, of the transformation in the brain that uh, your clients aren't going to necessarily be comfortable while they're seeing uh, new perceptions you know it's rewiring the brain and so being able to be comfort with comfortable with discomfort was a problem. And then as I was really getting into uh, looking at, so what's up with coaches now, I found so many of them getting lost in their clients' stories and the problem and forgetting who they are as a coach, that, that what they're doing is helping this person think through their dilemma. But if we don't know where they're going, if we don't coach them to what is it that you want to have that you don't have now, you know, and what's getting in your way. If we don't have that, then we chase them all over the place, you know, and that's what I saw a lot of coaches doing is just chasing their client and getting lost in their stories. So in one sense, um, you are helping them define direction. And some coaches might even say, isn't that leading? Well, not really. I, I need to have a destination to create a framework for the coaching session, but it's their destination. Um, you know, so there's the bookends of coaching, where are we going? And then what are you going to do now? And then there's the spontaneity in between. Uh, 
but I'm always remembering I'm just trying to help this smart, resourceful person um, to overcome blocks and move forward. Um, and I say smart, resourceful person because they don't need me to tell them what to do. They don't really even need me to problem solve. They may say, I don't know what to do, but is it they don't know or they're afraid to do what they do know? And usually it's, you know, I don't want to take the risk. So um, I always remembered that they aren't broken. They don't need me to fix them. They don't need, to need me to fix their problems. They just need me to help them see things in a broader way. You know, so that's why I wrote Coach the Person was to remind coaches or tell them if they didn't learn it, that what we're doing is helping our smart, resourceful clients to see things, to get beyond their, their visual mental blocks, to see what it is they know what to do. So, and it honors them as well. Um, so that's why at the end, they tend to feel good because they came up with it. You know, I didn't fix their problem, they do. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so I guess the, the follow-up question would be, how do you help clients do that then? How do you help them mm -hmm. expand their thinking and not well, get caught in, yeah, problem that's, solving? That's where reflective inquiry comes in. You know, I think, uh, there was also what I saw as a problem was that coaches were forgetting that it's not just about the powerful question. You know, I love that the ICF changed their competencies and took that out because people were stuck more in trying to remember what's a good question here than being present. You know, and um, I find that just reflecting and allow someone to take their thoughts out of their head and look at them. Um, by just, you know, summarizing and um, pulling out key words from what they're saying and sharing it back and then asking the question uh, is, is far more powerful than just asking a question. You know, so I, again, coaches are forgetting who they are. They aren't there, you know, to be a question asker. They're there to help the person think, which means I need to help them see their thinking. And the interesting thing is, um, you know, people always say, how is this different from therapy? Coaching was never a therapy, you know? And so um, I come from uh, learning technology. My second master's was in adult learning. Uh, you know, I've always been a researcher on how people learn. And the person who coined the term reflective inquiry was an educational reformer in the early 1900s that wrote a book called How We Think. And if you read the first chapter, his name was John Dewey, of his book, he's defining coaching. The rest of it is kind of like, it's way academic. <laughs> but the first chapter, he wanted teachers to get students, children, to think more broadly for themselves by just reflecting back. So I hear you saying this, you know, so you seem to be really focused on this part of the of the issue that you're facing. What about the rest of it? Or you seem to be believing that these people are acting in this way. Is there any other possibilities? And for young people to start recognizing that they've taken on their parents' beliefs or other people's or their peers, but to see they can think for themselves is what he wanted. 
um, he didn't succeed because school still stayed pretty much. Here's, you know, I'm going to tell you what to do and what to learn and, and I'm going to quiz you on it. <laughs> but he did to, you know, to some extent. But if you take his work and say, well, but, but that's what we're doing, you know, is we're helping people to take their, their, their stories out of their head where they're stuck and hold them out here and say, here's the story that you're living by. Can we examine that story to see what else might be true? Can you even expand that story? And what do you need to resolve um, that's getting in the way of you seeing outside of the box or outside of the story? Um, and that's just powerful stuff because there really isn't any other um, technology profession that just focuses on that. And without going into the past, I don't care where you develop the belief. Let's just look at how the belief is affecting you now. So. <laughs> yeah, it really sounds developmental, actually. And I think about some of the developmental psychology where they talk about this subject object move that, you know, in this way, as a coach, you're by reflecting back and mm -hmm. um, point maybe like reflecting back certain conflicts or key points that the, mm -hmm. um, yeah, the client is the next is taking what was kind of, um, you know, a mush inside their head and it wasn't really reflected on. And then suddenly they're able to look at it. And that very step by itself is immensely potent. Oh, yeah. You know, John Dewey said it's like helping people climb a tree in their brain and look down on their stories. And when they can look, take a little bit of an objective perspective, then they can see the gaps in their logic and the, the fears that are holding them back and um, the, the shoulds that are getting in the way of their dreams. They can see it in an objective way that they couldn't see it before because they were just too stuck in it. So, yeah, that's what we were doing. And again, he defined this because when you look at um, uh, our, our modern day psychology, it did not really come about until like the 1950s. He defined this in 1910 in his book and even before that. So he was talking about this long before, um, you know, Adler came up with, uh, Alfred Adler was the one who defined uh, psychology today that we that you know he was breaking from freud and saying we're not broken we don't need to be fixed we just need to help people to think because they're smart he's the one who said that they're smart and resourceful and and many of the psychologies then came out of that you know and um and so again dewey was talking about this long before so yeah you can say there's a lot of psychologies that that reflect that but but where did it come from you know, it's not like like coaching and um, reflective inquiry came from the psychologies. No, it was there before the psychologies um, in that sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Perhaps that's free from the baggage of some of those, you know. Um, right. Yeah. And, you know, yes, there's therapies that are, that are similar, like uh, behavioral therapy and looking at limiting beliefs. Yeah. But they'll also go into where was the belief formed. Um, so they go into the history. And again, I don't care 
<laughs> where it was formed. I just want to take a look at it and how it's impacting how you see things today and is it stopping you from moving forward? Because the, the, the words, the two words like reflective inquiry. So one part you're describing reflecting back and then there's this inquiry word. It, mm -hmm. Is it, so it sounds like, you know, like you, I think you've just said this, but with a lot of people, it's like they say they don't know what to do or, um, but actually it's not, it's just that they haven't sat down and thought about it or that there's, um, there's certain blind spots that they're, they're just like holding, but they're not aware of. Like I think about me, sometimes I say like, I don't know how to fix the gate on my back door, but it's, that's not true. It's like, I just don't have the motivation to learn it. It's quite just a simple don't want thing. To. <laughs> right. But I don't I say that. Say, you know, is it can't or won't? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, right. so we're very yeah. good at rationalizing our behavior. We're master rationalizers immediately, you know? So, so I, I and that's another question is that, um, is that a true uh, reason or a rationalization? <laughs> right. You know, so, right, it, it is that. It is, um, again, holding it out here and seeing what is it you really mean by that? What is it you really want? And what is it you don't want? Let's put that on the table. You know, because we don't stop and think about these things. That was, you know, Daniel Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow. We do not stop and think about our thinking, you know, and he at least said, if you can slow down and maybe have a dialogue with someone, because usually we think better with someone than trying to analyze in our own head, then maybe you can. But the, a lot of the neuroscientists will say our thinking patterns are so concrete, you know, that you need a strong external disruption to break through the patterns. So being very brief and concise and direct, <laughs> you know, so I'm not saying parrot back what they said. You wanna, you know, uh, really get to the essence of, okay, so here's what I hear you saying and, and it seems this is what you believe. Okay, what, what does that give you when I say that? What does that make you think? Um, and you'd get better at that you know, at, at really pulling out what is it that's, you know, uh, driving this person to be stuck in their story. If you stay really present and believe it's in the story, you know, so I'm going to really listen to that story. I'm not going to be in my head analyzing what you're saying. You know, that's, that will take you out of presence. It's going to hit me. And oftentimes, you know, the, the, the big thing that they want or they're afraid of it's going to hit me in my body. I'm going to feel it in my gut. I'm going to feel it in my heart. And I'll say, okay, that's the important thing. Let's look at that. You know, so like the other day, this woman was saying, well, I want to feel more connected. Well, I can't see connected. So tell me what connected means to you. And asking for meaning is, is, is something coaches need to do more. What do you mean by that? I can't see it, which means you and I can't agree on what you want. You know, and so when we started looking at how she defined connected and what does she think is missing, at one point she said, well, I just feel out of control in, in these relationships. And I said, okay, you had a lot of emotion around the word control. What is it that you feel you should be controlling that you're not? And, and she's like, oh my God, it is. It's about, you know, I like to be in control and I'm not. 
And I said, okay, so is that what you want to take a look at is how that plays into connected or are we done with connected? <laughs> and you want to just get a handle on um, managing your relationships and, and who you're in relationship better. Um, you know, so it really kind of, you know, took a journey of what she meant and what she really wanted, which is what coaching will do. If you stay curious, ask them what they mean, listen for the emotionally charged words and, you know, notice their uh, emotional shifts and feed that back, it does become a disruption. So as I said, the neuroscientists will say we need an external disruptor. Um, or as Marcel Proust said, it's an upheaval. It's an upheaval of thought. I love that word, upheaval. You know, And so you're breaking through the frames of the stories, which could cause an emotional reaction coming back to the discomfort zone. And that's good. You know, so if they cry, that's great. And they now see something else. And there's a clearing with tears. You know, so you give them a moment, let them experience that. And as they start to come out, you just say, would you be willing to share with me what you now see? You know, so you never jump in to fix your clients. All, all of that is the journey they're going on with you. And there will yeah. be ups and downs and roller coasters, and that's what makes it, you know, great. So there's another myth with coaching that the session must be positive and people feel good <laughs> during the session. And even at the end, it's like, no, you know, this isn't about positive psychology. You know, this is about breaking through stories and helping people to see themselves in the world in a broader way, which is developmental to them. And if you just try to keep it positive, then they stay stuck. They stay stuck. You know, mm. and they may say, oh, thank you. This was great. I had a you know, great time talking to you. But are they going to move forward? Not through the blocks. I mean, they may be willing to take a step that they tell you, but not the big ones. Not the big ones. <laughs> There's a lot in what you shared there. I'm really, really glad you mentioned that it's not you know, that your, your, um, your pre the presence is a key part of this and that you're, mm -hmm. you're, you're attuned to the client and feeling them. And, yeah. and when, so it, so it sounds like that it's not, yeah, it's not a technique. It's actually all based on your own, like attuned curiosity. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you've learned some, some distinctions that you can apply, but they're, they're applied in the right moment. And therefore like the coaching is always yeah. attuned to what the client is saying and it unfolds and right. goes on a journey in that way. Yeah, yeah. And the interesting, um, I want to say side effect, is the more attuned I am with you, the safer you feel to open up to me. You know, so there's um, a woman, Sherry Geller, up in Montreal who's been uh, researching therapeutic presence. And she finds when therapists open their gut and their heart as well as their mind with curiosity but their heart with compassion with care and their gut with courage that the, for her it's therapy she she was looking at trauma therapy people who have not spoken of trauma in their life will feel safe enough to speak of it to you and so a lot of our our presence is what creates the person to go deeper into a space that was scary for them to look at before. So you mentioned blind spot. It's not just blind spot. It's the things we avoid. 
I know it's there, but I'm not going to look at it. But in this moment that I reflect to you and ask you the question, it's almost like you have to. Which then could also open up something you haven't seen, the blind spot. You know, so as um, in the Johari window, he talks about the facade, what we don't look at, and the blind spots, you know, which have to do with our uh, past histories and biases. And, you know, and so if we can get them to look at those a little bit more, then we expand self-awareness, which gives them options um, for what I, who I can be and what I can do to move forward. Uh, maybe this is like we're talking, because you said the word blocks, and mm -hmm. I wonder if you could say a bit more about what you mean by that, because yeah. it might be what you're talking about now, and, and how you would approach working with a block with reflective inquiry because that could become another place where a coach might be go oh we've got to resolve this block now it's a that's a, a problem to be fixed and I'm just wondering how yeah. how you work with that yeah well you know it's not that we're not looking at the person's problem because we are but we're looking at them in relation to their problem right you know so um it it's become to me more critical over the years, even more than I think I even defined in the book. Although I have, have a whole chapter on, you better define where you're going, you know? And what's really interesting is the new competencies with the ICF, they say that if, if the end result that you're aiming for in this session is at all vague, then you haven't defined it and you don't get credit for that. And pretty much you won't pass certification. <laughs> if you don't define that. So for me asking, what do you be, mean by connected? What do you mean by confident? What do you see? What will it give you? I'm helping you to, to uh, clear the fog to see what you really want. Once you see that and declare it, then it's easy enough for me to say, so what do you need to address or resolve in order to move forward to that thing you want? Okay, and it's easier for them to declare that. So it's not like I have to like, you know, dig and create it. But I must know where they must know and we must agree on what they want that they don't have now. Um, uh, and, and, and that's the, the session agreement, you know, that this is, and, and that will often change and usually does as we go deeper into, you know, what do you need to address or resolve? Um, and then from that point, we're listening to, so what are the beliefs holding this story you're telling in place? Um, what are your assumptions about the future that you say, well, I can't talk to my boss because, you know, it, there'll be, it'll be bad. It's like, well, how do you know that to be true? You know, what evidence do you have? that the assumption you're making will come about. You know, so again, people start seeing that they've made it up. You know, Einstein said, reality is an illusion, albeit a very persistent one. So we make it up, you know, but if I bring it forward to you, you start to see, oh yeah, I made that up. <laughs> you know, there's no foundation to it. So then we can start looking at, you know, well, what else is there? And I don't often even have to ask that question. Once they see that they've made it up, they see <laughs> what else is possible and they'll say it. So breaking through their blocks, once we understand where they're going, is not that difficult. It's not like, 
I'm forcing them into a space of, you know, okay, well, that's, that's limiting what you're seeing. I don't even have to say that. I'll just say, so it sounds to me as if you, um, uh, you know, and I say that often, it sounds to me as if, um, you know, as if you believe that uh, all jobs you take are going to be just like the last one, you know, and your, your contribution won't be valued and you won't be seen. Is that true of all jobs? You know, or with coaches, um, the whole, well, I can't um, coach people until I have so much experience. Or, or last night I was teaching um, a class of uh, coaches, mostly in the Philippines, and, and this one very articulate man with like no accent, he said, well, I can't establish myself as a leadership coach in the United States. And I'm sitting here thinking, well, why not? That's an interesting belief you have. You come across to me as, you know, very articulate, very experienced, and um, uh, and not at all, you know, and and universal. Unless you tell them, how would I even know where you were from these days when it's all remote? You know, so how is that belief stopping you from expanding your business? You know, and so just that belief, he's like, oh, yeah, I am making that up, aren't I? You know, mm. so it's it's really interesting. Once we define, again, what does he want to create, but what's the belief holding him back? Beliefs and assumptions are not that difficult to see. You know, it's mm. when we start getting to, into a little deeper, like conflicts of values, me against society or against my family, which is very big in Asia, you know, the whole family values and, um, you know, or what my peers tell me, oh, you shouldn't do that. Well, why shouldn't I? You know, like when I left my last job, I, I even had this man screaming at me how stupid I am. He says, you're so, so stupid because I left two years of unvested stock on the table. But I walked away with a pretty good amount. It was a really strong IPO. And I hit the glass ceiling. And I, so I was no longer, and I was told my projects were no longer needed, go fix the factory. And it was like awful, you know, I, I'm like, I don't want to be here anymore. Um, I want to go write books and start my own business. And he's like, how stupid can you be? I'm like, I, 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 I don't need it. I will be fine. I'll make enough money and I have enough money and, and I'm doing well. And even my boss, who I saw two years later, he's like, are you really suffering? I'm like, so what is it you think when you leave that company is going to happen? That we're just going to fall into a ditch? And then he went into this whole thing. Well, one of these days I'm going to do what you did. <laughs> I'm mm. like, so what's holding you back? You well, know, yeah. so it's, it's fascinating um, to me when people start, uh, are so holding on to their own fears that they're going to lay them out on you, which starts coming out in the coaching when you go deeper. It's like, what is it you're afraid of in people's judgment? You know, what is it, uh, the values you've been living by that are not yours, that are keeping you from realizing your dreams? What mm -hmm. is it you think you need, you know, social needs that you, you're convinced you're not going to get? You know, so there's a little bit deeper exploration when people start to realize what has defined them as a person. 
that they can be something else. Much of coaching is identity-based. You know, even with leaders, I always say, you know, if they're having trouble with people, I don't say what's your problem, you know, or you're, you're, you're not managing te- your, your meetings well. I say, define leadership to me. Define leadership. How do you think everyone else defines leadership? Let's take a look at who you think you're supposed to be in this scenario that may be getting in your way, which they then see what it is they need to do. So uh, the who am I in this situation is huge. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Potent questions. And um, just say uh, you, you ask that question of somebody, then it might surface um, like this identity they hold, which might, you're saying then that could then conflict with where they are now, you know, like they're in a role and that something's being asked of them. And yet they've got this old identity, you know, that's creating um, a barrier. And so there's a conflict there. Yeah. And so what would you do in that moment? Is it about, yeah, yeah, again, reflection. I'll give you a a simple example, delegation. (laughs) You know, we, we promote our high achievers into these grand leadership positions and, who did, how did they define themselves before? By how well they did their job. And now they're just going to give it up to other people, you know? And so really taking a look at, do you want to succeed in this position as leader? You know, so how do you relate? You know, what is important as a leader at your level? Is it doing everyone's work or is it developing people? I mean, what is a leader of leaders? You know, and so it's really interesting to get into what it is they're afraid to let go of. Who will I be if I'm not the high achiever? You know, well, what else is possible for who you will be? You know, so um, I remember even my boss one time uh, in my last job, I told you I hit the glass ceiling, but I was at the in the top leadership on the leadership team. They just weren't going to promote me any higher. There was no women higher than me. And, um, uh, but I came into this company with the task of, you've got to change the culture. We're going to change the product. You change the culture. It's up to you. Um, and uh, so I was like, okay. And I found a, a champion in the uh, director who became VP of quality. And um we redesigned things as teams and how people like talk to each other and respected each other. We did a lot of work and I always took on the archetype of warrior. Okay. I'm going to like fix things, fix things, fix things. Well, once we got went public and I was now at this leadership level, my warrior wasn't working, you know? And so I was talking to my boss and, um, I was complaining about the leadership team. They just don't get it. They don't see what's possible. And he said to me, is there a way of you, instead of forcing people to do what you want, that you inspire them to see what you see? And I'm like, (laughs) just in that question, I saw how I was holding on to who I was, which was no longer working. And could I not be an inspirer, a storyteller and all that? Of course I am. I just quieted that voice, you know, and I needed to bring that voice back out. So um, I talk a lot about this um, in my book, Wander Woman, because 
my doctoral research was on high achieving women in the workplace and the, and the challenges we face start smart, strong women that have a voice, you know, and we're not passive and we, we don't worry about leaning in. We lean in too much, <laughs> you know? And so I looked at archetypes and, and self-definition and what needs to shift in my research. And it was, it was fascinating, but it's not just women, it's men as well. Um, uh, so that whole, what identity am I holding on to? How is that restricting me now? Is hmm. critical of coaching the person, <laughs> you know, right. in, it, to to step into their problem in, a, in an entirely different way. So I always say coaching is a lot about identity. Um, uh, but new coaches, you know, it's like you you have to learn the skills first. You got to learn your skills before you can improvise. But once you start getting into that and you know what it is, then you just have to trust you know it. Yeah. And be present and keep thinking, what's stopping this smart person from moving forward? What in their story is restricting them? What are they holding on to that they're having difficulty letting go of? And it's amazing what you bring forth. <laughs> well, like that example you gave of the, the boss who both beautifully pointed out mm -hmm. something in your identity yeah. and at the same time invited you into a new sense yeah. of possibility. Because I think if you only have mm -hmm. one side, that can be powerful. But when you have, yeah, like, okay, so my yeah. sec my definition of success is limiting me, but there's right. a new possibility here, then that will, yeah, like uh, there's a new identity that can form around that, which is yeah. reinvigorating in some way. Right. Yeah, he invited me into it, but he didn't tell me how, you know, um, but I immediately saw that. And he wasn't a coach, you know, he, he just, but he, we had been together and fought together for many years. So he, he knew me well, <laughs> you know, so he'd come up with these gems like that, you know, that um, made me stop and think about what I was doing. Um, most of the time, he just told me what to do and told me what not to do. But every now and then, he would come up with something like that that was like, oh, yeah. And it would change my life. It would change my life. He would have been a good coach if he would have taken that on. But, you know, he mm -hmm. had a hard time leaving uh, the company and the money he was making and all of that until he got, uh, had some real physical problems based on his stress. And mm -hmm. I, I think he just retired at that point, which was too bad for him. He's yeah. a smart guy, but yeah. And are there any, like, um, you know, and I, I was, I'd love to bring in like one more idea, you know, about how coaches could um, coach the person and not the problem, uh, bring in this reflective inquiry. Is there anything we've not spoken about? It might be um, a distinction or, um, you know, uh, there's a, been a lot in what you shared already, but maybe there's something you also teach coaches that we've not named yet. Well, you know, one thing I learned um, some years ago that, you know, like even with this conversation of inviting, um, giving people information is not the same as giving them advice. You know, so um, like um, I, I just yesterday read this um, article in the New York Times about the, the level of anger you know, not just frustration, but, but what ha they're, they're now being able to research what's going on in the brain 
based on the isolation and social, not having as much social contact and support, um, and and what that's doing. And and you know, in, in the United States, they it's like three times as many car crashes just in the last year because people are out there like you know pumping on the gas. They're, they're angry and they don't know why. You know, I wrote a, uh, an article for Psychology Today um, over a year ago, and I need to repurpose it, um, said, I miss me. I miss me. You know, um, because I find that I'm just getting, I'm, I'm so on edge and irritated and angry, and that's not me. But it is now. And so I had a client that was saying, um, I don't know what's wrong. You know, um, I'm just, you know, it's like I, I, by the end of the day, I can barely breathe. And I, and so sharing, I said, can I share with you an article I just read? So giving information is just, you know, and basically I was saying this isn't true. You know, this is like, and they even had a name for this, like, phenomenon, um, social something. And um, I said, it, it's occurring everywhere. And, and the person... I didn't tell them what to do, but that they knew that they were not the only one, that it wasn't something wrong with them, but that it was going on. It gave them quit feeling guilty <laughs> and worried into, oh, okay. So if it's based on a disconnection, what can they do to reconnect so they feel a little bit more connected to their world? and they would then come up with the solution. So I'm not telling them what to do. I'm just giving them some information they do not have. You know, and so there's a confusion because, again, I'll have coaches say, aren't you leading them? Um, in a sense, yeah, um, but I'm not leading them to what to do with the information. As long as I don't do that, I'm just saying, you know, I read this article and I want to share it with you. Um, that opens them up to the possibilities and again redefining who they are um, and what's going on with them so um, I think you know looking at that actually frees coaches up a little bit <laughs> mm. you know to get away from just asking the question and you know uh, well maybe sometime you know I think it's a bit like challenging people you know yeah what the, the danger is coaches become very supportive mm -hmm. you know and there's no discomfort or challenge and it's yeah. the same with leading you know like maybe yeah. th there are there are moments in the coaching where mm -hmm. leading is actually appropriate and of course mm -hmm. you, you know if you're leading too much that's not that's not good but mm -hmm. you know i think anywhere where coaching becomes statically defined is is potentially um damaging let me give you, yeah. let me give you a distinction for that when I say lead, I would never lead them to the solution or what I want them to do. That's right. inappropriate because who, who says I'm right? Yeah. Who says I'm right? You know, that I might lead them to seeing things differently is different than leading them to what to do with that and what they should be doing. So there's right. the difference, you know, so like when I said the coaches say, aren't you leading them? I'm leading them to a broader perspective, but that's it. That's it. I just want them to know there's some things that you're not, that you may not be aware of 
you know, it's just like in, in a company, um, if somebody's reacting to a certain thing, the leader has some knowledge that they have permission to share. You know, sometimes they have to have secrets, but, <laughs> you know, um, like, you know what? Um, I mean, just something that the person may not know. Do you know that that division that you're having trouble with is being reorganized and, and the people are kind of freaking out? Maybe they didn't know that, you know, and so they're 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 complaining because they can't get their calls returned. And, you know, so mm. if the person knew there was something crazy going on over there, they may have a different opinion about that and not taking it personally. OK, that's important information. All right. So, again, what is the information that they're missing that's helping them to see the possibilities? That's OK. So I'm leading them just to see the, the situation in a broader way. That's all I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't do that. I don't do this consistently. But there's times when you're like, whoa, OK, this person doesn't know this. And this might be helpful for them to know. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um well, as we come towards the end of our conversation, I just wondered if there's like anything like um, anything you want to sh- share with coaches, like as a closing statement, I'm, maybe not, you know, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here, but um, of course, I'd love to know where we can find out more about your work too. But first, yeah, I don't know if there's anything you would want to share with people listening. Well, you know, this comes back to the original part of our conversation is the, the, the importance of presence. Um, that it's and and there's a distinction between paying attention um, and presence and I do that because often when we pay attention we lean forward which pushes the person away you know I see trainers do it I see coaches do it I'm like stop that (laughs) you know that that it is about me just if you notice mostly when I talk I stay right here okay I don't lean in um, I, I maintain a, a straight spine, actually. You know, I always tell my coaches, do this before the session starts and make sure your spine is aligned so you can open your head, heart, and gut. When you do this, you mm-hmm. cut yourself off. Um, and know that you open your nervous system with emotions. So emotions define our presence. So again, I'm not just paying attention to you and, and, and not having distractions. I'm, I'm receiving what you're giving me totally. I don't even like the word listening. It's about receiving what you're giving me and through my entire nervous system, which is fully connected and talks to each other all the time. So this isn't woo-woo, this is real. <laughs> um, and, and I'm going to point you to a place on my website where there's a visualization of opening your head, heart, and gut. Um, I receive what you give me and I share it back. Before I can analyze and interpret it, I just share it back and I'm curious. And I can be wrong, it doesn't matter. I'm just receiving and sharing it back as best and cleanly as I can. Might I interpret it at times? Probably, but who cares? You'll tell me if I'm right or wrong, if you feel safe with me. So, yeah. So deepening of presence, I always say mastery is the deepening of presence, not the perfection of skills. And I recently heard a quote that said, um, practice never makes perfect. Practice makes competence. It increases competence. So mm. in, practice your presence and you'll be a better coach. 
love that you're saying that we have a training program all about that too i I'm totally with you on that yeah yeah it's it, the skills shouldn't be the primary thing it's the yeah it's presence which is leading and then skills can be yeah. picked up as needed but um yeah, yeah, let brilliant. me share yeah. a quick story so thomas leonard who created coach you the first you know big coaching school and and the international coach federation in my very first call class you know, where we hadn't learned anything. He said, go coach. The only way you can learn coaching is to go do it. And we're like, but we have no idea what we're doing. And he said, oh, just go love them. Right. That's <laughs> profound advice. And I'm like, yeah. oh, okay. Because again, if I create the safe space for them to talk, something will happen. And then I just get better at the skills. So yeah, he that was significant. Very nice. Um, so where can we find out more about your work then, Marsha? Yeah. Yeah. Well, my website is co-visioning, one word, covisioning.com. Um, and I do, when I'm not so crazy busy, blog there <laughs> as well. I'm, you know, so there's things that I post. But there is a page um, uh, that if you, in the, in the search, if you put in coach the person resources, there's a hidden page that has videos, it has the visualization, both by words and by audio, um, and articles and all kinds of resources that, that the, the coaches can use. I, I developed it when I launched the book and I just put it up there, but I hide it. And, and so you have to like listen to me on a podcast or something or to... a webinar yeah. in order to get it. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, thanks, Marsha. Yeah, thanks so much. Just a, a heads up again, if you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com. Put your name in the sign-up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well, and I'll see you again next time. Bye.